0: So if you are new, this is your first week, boy, you you hit it right. We are starting a series in the book called Acts. But before we get into that, let's talk about the future. Uh, 2015 is huge because if you're a product of the 80s, which I was around for, uh, there was a series of movies called Back to the Future. Anyone remember? Back to the Future. Well, Back to the Future 2, which came out in 1989, talked about 2015. And the whole movie's premise is that Michael J. Fox is thrown into the future and then he goes back in time. And tonight, I'm just curious, what will this year bring for you? What's the future for you as a person? What's the future for us as a church? Now, if you saw the movie, they got a couple of things right. Flat screen TVs. Back in the 80s, kids, some of you, there was a TV, there was a bubble in the back. It was a tube, huge device. You can go to Goodwill and get it for like 50 cents. But, but there was a, they got flat screens right. They got handheld computers right. In 1989, the thought of having it in your hand, they got video conferencing, Skype, FaceTime, that whole idea that we would talk not by phone, but by interacting by video, they got it right. Uh, But when they predicted the future in Back to the Future, they got a couple things wrong. Uh, There are no flying cars yet. My son is waiting. He's like, Dad, in my lifetime, cars are not going to need roads. I'm like, yeah, okay, you know. But they didn't get that uh, right yet. They didn't get the ho- uh, the um, hover skateboard thing. Remember that part? They didn't get it. Now, there is one out there. I did a little research. And there is one, and it is the right color, and it does kind of hover. The problem is you can't stand on it. It doesn't actually, I mean, it works theoretically, but it doesn't actually functionally work. So they got some things right. They got other things Wrong. They got really wrong the auto-lacing sneakers. Do you remember that? I mean, you just you put the shoes on, and they just, they, for those of us who struggle with tying our shoes, they got it wrong. Although we had two guys who work at Nike here who were trying to correct me this morning and saying, no, they're making it. They, this year they're coming out with it. Yes, they have made the, little, the shoes he was wearing, the Nikes, but they can't get it to tie and untie. So by the end of the year, they think that Nike's finally going to produce the shoes from Back to the Future. They will probably cost you $5,000 a pair. <laughs> but if you're into that, there you go. They got some things right and some things wrong in the future. The trouble with the future is we think we know where things are headed, but often we get it partly right. And tonight we want to think about what is God's future for us as a church. And in that, what is God's future for you? So the reason to go into the book, call Acts, and the reason we're going to go on this long journey together, is not a history lesson. If you think, oh man, like, let's just do something more exciting, because I don't want to talk about what happened in the past. You're going to see tonight, and over these next few weeks, that looking back is about embracing God's future. As a matter of fact, in in order to go in the right direction, where God would have us, sometimes we do need to look back. So here's the plan. Uh, for those of you planners, for the next two years, we're going to cover these 28 chapters called Acts. Now, because I love you, we're not going to do it in a row. Because some of you, by, by chapter 14, you may go to another church or another faith. I don't know. Like, you'll just drop out. So, what we're going to do is Acts unfolds 30 years of history. 30 years. Think of the next 30 years of your life. Acts tracks 30 years of the building of the Jesus movement. So we're going to look at the stages. Because there's the beginning, the Genesis embryonic stage, the first part of Acts. First seven chapters about what's happening in the early days when Jesus rises again and he ascends to heaven and he sends out this people. So we are a new church and so we're going to study what does it look like for a church to launch? What does it look like for a movement to begin? What does it look like for faith to be stretched in the direction that God would take us? And that will go through about May. And then we'll hit the summer. We're going to do a totally different series, clear the deck and apply and think through all that we've covered between now and May. We're going to do a different kind of series from a different part of the Bible just to chew on it. And then we'll hit the fall. And in the next phase, chapters 8 and following, we see that this little movement starts to take new ground. God uses these humble people and new churches start to form that are outside the comfort zone of those in Jerusalem. And what does it look like to be a church that does not just exist for us, but to exist for others? What does it look like for us to invest in the work of God beyond Hillsboro, beyond the Sunset Corridor? So we're going to look at that as we launch the fall. And then we'll do the same thing. We'll do a little bit, we'll take a break, and then we'll reset and come back to us. Does that make sense? So it's going to be in the next two years of our story. Now, why do this? Why Acts? So let's, just, let's just cover that. We did about a year, year and a half in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus. And all the way through, because I'm a planner, I was thinking, Lord, what do you want us to do after that? And acts kept coming back to mind. And as I began to read it just over and over again, see, is this something that we should invest in? It became clear to me that, yeah. We need to do Acts for multiple reasons. Number one is because it's a community. If you're new here, just checking it out. We believe in looking at every word that God has put in Scripture. And so most of our time is spent going book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Now topical or just theme preaching is totally needed. I'm totally for it. And there are things that God wants to speak that you just need to hit that topic. Whether it's marriage or finances the challenge though, if you do that all the time, is that you, you, you jump from here to there and you miss things. By going slowly, you actually learn how to learn. And so as a community, we wanna not just see Sunday as your spiritual fix. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna throw this in. If this is the only spiritual intake you take in a week, don't be surprised if you find your faith frustrating. Don't be surprised if you find this whole Jesus thing really not that satisfying. Because we think, I think, I think all leaders here would agree that it's a consistent intake of spiritual input that causes us to grow. And so the goal for Sunday and a lot of these Sunday teachings will be more heady. Why? Because we want to spur you on how to think. And we want to spur you to do a little more reading, a little more growing on your own. Sundays are not the end. They're the launching pad for the week, okay? So that's why we do it. Second reason is because we're a new church. We, uh, if you're new, we just started less than three years ago. This Easter will be our three-year birthday as a community, which basically means we don't know what we're doing. Like, maybe you do. Okay, I'll confess. I do most of the talking here. I don't know what I'm doing. And you know what? That's okay. What we're going to find is early on in the Jesus story, The the leaders, the followers, they didn't know what to do, but God provided a solution. So I'm praying, and this may be just bombastic and dumb, but I'm actually praying that this two years sets the tone for the next 30. That God does something in us, like not just bam one weekend, but slowly over the next two years that we begin to get a greater vision of who God is and what God wants to do. And we become catalytic in our thinking and we say, you know what, I got it. And in the next 30 years, if you live in this this part of the town, that you'll know the direction that Jesus wants to take you. That's ambitious, but I think Jesus wants to do that. I think he wants to set the tone for our community. So we have huge expectations of what God is going to do in you. Okay, so that's a little bit of the background, a little bit of the why. But um, what do we do with this? Luke and Acts. Okay, so some of you may be new to the Bible. We're going to start at the beginning Luke and Acts, they're combined. Uh, If you've read the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Why is it that way? Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts. But because our English Bible, it just doesn't come next to it, you may not realize it. I say that because we're going to go back to Luke a lot. Because the first thing that he wrote, he continues the story in The book of Acts. So let's just start this. Let's start by just reading Acts 1, verse 1, and then we're going to go back to Luke in a minute to figure out why he starts this way. You ready? Acts 1, 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. That he had chosen. So, so Luke starts his intro really fast, and kind of nonchalantly, and then he jumps in. Why? In my former book, "Theophilus." So Luke is the writer. Luke is a doctor. Colossians 4:14 tells us our dear brother Luke, and describes him as a doctor. He's a medical physician. He's also a historian and a writer. Few people had the education that Luke would have enjoyed. And so God uses him to investigate the story. Now he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. So who's Theophilus? If at face value, now his name means friend or loved by God, but at face value, it sounds like a skin disease. Let's just, can we just throw it out there? Like, hey, dude, I think you may have a case of Theophilus. but you go to Walgreens, get a little skin cream, you'll be, all right. So if that's your name, I'm sorry. We'll call him him Theo. Theo is kind of great, but Theophilus is a little strange. We don't know exactly who he is. You can't, you can't like find him on Facebook. Theophilus is, what we can scratch at, is a Roman official. So he's not a Jew. This is huge. Luke is not a Jew. So early on in the Jesus story, Jesus was a Jew. All his disciples are Jews. His 12 apostles are Jews. But Luke is brought in because the good news is spreading beyond one ethnic group. And so he writes as a non-Jew and he writes... To a non Jew. So, what Luke is gonna do is describe to people like us. How many of you have a Jewish background? That is your heritage. You are of a Jewish descent. Anyone? No, right. Oh, you are, okay. Not most of us aren't. So, the fortunate thing is we have Matthew written to Jews. If you read Matthew, he keeps quoting from the Old Testament because it's written by a Jew to Jews. You have Mark, who's written to a broad audience, then you have Luke who's thinking about Jew and non-Jew, then you have John that writes his own way. First three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. That is, they're similar. And so Luke and Matthew quote Mark. They're very close, and they quote the same stories often. John, who's writing, who already has read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're all written before John, he writes a different angle. He gives us things about Jesus that Matthew, Mark and Luke left out. And then you have the Acts. And the Acts serve as a bridge because you have Jesus, then you have what's happening in the Jesus people, and then the rest of the New Testament are letters written to the churches described in Acts. So this may seem like a history lesson at first, but we are doing it not just because the Bible has a story, it's because you have a story. And Trust me, you read and you you stick with us. You're going to find yourself all over the book of Acts. The names are different. The cities are different. But the challenges are identical. So Acts fits, even though practically it should be right next to Luke, but it fits as a bridge for us to understand what God has done in his people. Now, Acts 1.1 said in my former book. So let's go back to the former book. Go to Luke 1. If you would just go to Luke one, and the introduction to Acts is actually in Luke one, that makes sense. Think about it. If you wrote two books and one's a sequel, you put all the front in the front book, and it sets the tone. So if you really want to get Acts first, we need to look at look at Luke one, and we're going to read the first four verses, and spend most of our time here tonight. So Luke 1, 1 says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Luke says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, and then this phrase, most excellent Theophilus. Remember we were saying that uh, Theophilus is probably a Roman official. This is a technical term that you'd say to someone in authority. Kind of like a judge, you would say, your honor. So most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So we don't know 100%, but most think that Theophilus heard the gospel, became a follower of Jesus, and then life happened. Now, this has happened to many of you. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Someone told you this good news. It rung true in your soul. You connected with Jesus, I believe. And then you look at the church. You look at people around you. You look at your own life and think, six months later, two years later, like, man, was this like legit? You hit a low in your life or tragedy comes. We don't know what it is for Theophilus. But we do know at the time that he's living, the church is being severely persecuted. So put yourself in in Theo's shoes. High official, important person, follows Jesus, or he's on the verge, we don't know exactly. Let's assume he did. But then the people of your faith are being killed. You're being looked down on. The the leaders are being thrown in prison. Some of them are dying, and you start to wonder, now wait a minute, if Jesus is alive and real, then what in the world? Does he not care about us? And could it be that this is not what I was told? Let's just take a step back in time for a second. In the first century, for us, new is good. If you have an iPhone 3, you're like, dude, come on. If you have a 4, you have a 5, but if you have a 6, we look for the newest car, the newest device. In the first century, when it came to faith, new was your enemy. You wanted to be a part of a faith that was old, that had roots, that was deep. And so what Luke is going to do, and this is so helpful to us, is to make the connection point and tell Theophilus, you were taught these things about Jesus. And I want you to know that Jesus is not a new thing. The church isn't a new thing. The gospel isn't a new thing. All that God has been doing, Jesus goes back to Adam. Luke is going to make a huge case. Remind Theophilus, the faith that you have embraced is not new. It's the fulfillment of what God had been doing since day one. So Theophilus, what does he need? Uh, if you want to think of a theme for Acts and for Luke, for that matter, and a the theme for us for the next two years, is we need to know. That sounds kind of simple, but you may want to write it down. If you're doing a journal or note thing on the series, we need to know. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Lots of people say they know Jesus, Right? Everyone in this room knows Jesus at some level. But what does that mean? Lots of people here, if not everyone let's make that assumption, says I follow Jesus in some way. What does that mean? As a matter of fact, if I were to really ask you, why do you believe what you believe? And do you know? Let's assume I know zip about this faith. Can you help me understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus wants me to be about in my life? Is your faith rooted? Theophilus, we think, was starting to struggle. And so he needs to know just like we need to know. And so let me ask you this. How much of your faith is your own? How much of what you know about Jesus did you get from your search? How much of what you know about Jesus did you get from reading what Jesus said? How much of what you say you believe do you actually believe because you have proven it to be truthful? Or how much of your faith is inherited from someone else's homework? Your parents follow Jesus, or your grandparents, or, or your roommates following Jesus, how much of your faith is actually yours? Now, I am not, you're like, dude, bummer, like, can you, <laughs> can you lift me up? Like, what are you doing? Are you trying to bring doubt? I am not trying to plant seeds of doubt, but I am trying to say, like Theophilus, if we're not careful, we can have a faith that lacks roots. And when your faith lacks roots and trouble comes, let me tell you, my friend, doubt will take over. So our goal is to go along with Luke. Luke writes to Theo to help him out. And by God's grace, it was written down so that 2,000 years later, you and I can be deeply rooted in what God has done so that when storms do come, and they will, if not this year, maybe next year, you and I can stand confident in who Jesus is, and if someone says, well, I think what you believe is a bunch of baloney, and I think it's just one of many beliefs, and I think there's a lot of things that are about Christianity and Jesus that have holes in it, you can say with confidence, well, bring it on. You say there's holes, show me the holes. And not with arrogance, but with humility and boldness, you can say, here's what I believe to be true and here's why I believe it and I would encourage you, do your homework yourself. What would it look like if all of us had that kind of deeply rooted faith? If that's even attractive for you, hang out, hang out for the next couple of years because that is where we're headed as a community. Now, to start off for tonight, we're just getting to wet the appetite tonight and we'll dig in next week. There are five key words in Luke 1, 1 through 4 that help us know what we know. If the goal is that we really know what we say we know, Luke actually tips the hand. He uses five verbs in there, and I would encourage you to write this down. How can I know what we believe and say to be true to actually be true? And these are evidence points for us that can bring encouragement if you felt like, man, I'm not sure if this is all legit. The first one, write it down, is the word fulfilled. Look at verse one. Many have undertaken to drop up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. What, what does that mean? Fulfilled means that what happened in our, uh, in our, in, in our background, in, in Jesus' background, actually happened in time and space on planet Earth. Our faith is not bent on someone's philosophy, it's on fact. Things actually happen. Jesus actually walked this earth. The places, the time periods, the activities, what happens in the scriptures is verifiable outside of the scriptures. So I don't believe the Bible because someone said the Bible's God's word, although that's kind of cool. I believe it because inside and outside it stands up as true. And so the first thing Luke tells them, I have, many have underwritten, many people are writing about the things that Jesus actually did. Jesus did things in real history. So our faith is not just based on someone's philosophy. Don't believe in Jesus because your parents say Jesus is the best. Although Jesus is the best, that happened to be right. But you can believe in Jesus because of things that actually happen in history. And so as we see Acts unfold, we're going to be able to see some of the evidence. Second thing is in verse 2, handed down. Verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were first were eyewitnesses and servants of the gospel. Handed down is a technical term, meaning the transmission of teaching, the moving of teaching. So... An event happened. Jesus did real stuff. And the people that were th- there handed down, transmitted what happened. So you and I weren't there. We didn't see what Jesus did, what Jesus said. But the people who actually witnessed the events, who were at first eyewitnesses from the beginning, people who were from, with Jesus from the time he was baptized and for three full years saw the events, not one, 12 close, Another 70 around him, hundreds if not thousands, who caught part of Jesus' life. They saw it and they transmitted the teaching. Now, in the first century, people had brain cells that worked. The iPhone is destroying our brain. Did you know that? Your smartphone is making you dumb. And so is mine. There was a time where I would remember people's phone numbers. I don't know anybody. I don't know my wife's phone number. And she's had the same phone number for four years. Now maybe I'm getting old and dying. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. I think it's because we have technology that's replaced the need to use our brain. In the first century, you would write on strips of leather that was so expensive. So you know what you did? You remembered things. So what am I saying? I'm saying the teaching that was handed down was passed over by person, by person, by person, by people who witnessed it. So what I have is accurate because they handed it down. And if someone made a mistake, you know what they would do? They would correct them. No, no, Jesus did not say that. He said this. And so we have actual events that were handed down by people who were first first witnesses. Now, it gets better. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first from the beginning, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning investigate it, and notice the phrase from the beginning. First were eyewitnesses, from the beginning. So many people at the time of Jesus, in a court of law, there are two types of witnesses. There is a live witness, an eyewitness, and then there's written testimony for people who can't be there. So what do you have in your hands? I'm going to make a suggestion. None of you were there at the time of Jesus. Can we agree on that? Yes. And that doesn't matter. It does not make a difference. People say, I wish I was there when Jesus actually did the stuff because then I would believe it. It actually doesn't matter. Here's why. The people who saw it happen and were there told the story again and again and again and it shaped the community and it moved out quickly and then people like Luke did the investigation. Luke talked to Jesus' mother Mary. You read Luke 1 and 2 and it is written with Mary in mind. As a matter of fact, Luke says multiple times, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. Luke talked to Peter. Luke traveled with Paul. Luke was a first witness himself. He didn't catch the, if you read Acts, first half of Acts, he's writing about what happened. Somewhere in the middle, Luke joins Paul's missionary team and he he sees the the witnessed events himself. Acts 16 on, he's going to be an eyewitness firsthand. But Luke does a careful investigation like others. Luke read the Gospel of Mark. Mark was written before Luke. So Luke is able to verify from Mark who studied under Peter. This did not happen in the middle of nowhere and someone just wrote down their thoughts. It's carefully investigated. Here's why. The primary witness is a personal eye. In the first century, you want a live witness that can verify. But the apostles began to be killed. We're going to see early on this persecution So people like Luke and others write down what God had done so that those who didn't see Jesus and couldn't meet the apostles face to face, they would have an eyewitness. What does that mean? You and I have everything we need to know who Jesus is. There's no like gaps. Like, oh, if I was just there. No, you have everything you need to follow Jesus. Now what happened? Keep going in verse three. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to, the number four, write an orderly account. Write an orderly account. So Luke writes down everything that happened. That's why we have the witness of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And they're all written by independent people who all experience the same events. And if you read the four gospels, there are slight variations, and here's why. Jesus repeated himself all the time. So Matthew heard one of Jesus' message about generosity, and then, and then Mark records what Peter saw on another occasion. So there are, they're not exactly word for word, because I taught the same message at 10 o'clock this morning, And Elise can verify, I've already not said the same exact thing. You don't get 100% of the words right. Sometimes you shoot from the hips. Sometimes you add. Sometimes you subtract. And and that's Jesus' ministry. He had the same thing. He kept saying again and again. And so you have multiple records from people who saw it, and it was written down. Now, this is huge for us as we think about following Jesus because the issue is knowing. So let's just finish verse 4. I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So it's an issue of evidence and really being rooted. You can know for sure the unshakability of your faith. Theophilus, yes, doubt does creep in, and some things don't make sense. If Jesus is alive, then why? And then just fill in your details. We all have those moments. And you may be struggling right now with, I'm not sure. And I say, bring your struggle, bring your doubt. A, God is bigger than your struggle. He's bigger than your doubt. And if he can't handle your doubt, you, you definitely don't want to follow him. So you can bring anything into light and say, I need to know, God, show me, and then be honest. Because sometimes we just don't like the answer God gives or we don't like the speed with which God gives us answers. But if you'll humble yourself and you'll look like Theophilus, you can know. This puts a whole new, like, whole new attitude towards reading the Bible. Some people say like, oh, Christians read the Bible. And like it becomes this thing like, oh, you know, it's like I should brush my teeth in the morning, which you should. You know, I should be dressed presentably. I should, I should work. I should pay my bills. Like it becomes duty. Rather than this passionate opportunity. Let me tell you why reading the Bible should take a greater importance in your world. Without the Scriptures, you have no idea who Jesus is. Think about it. There's a British author, John Stott, who uh, wrote a commentary on Acts. By the way, this week I'm going to send up a uh, post, a recommended reading. If you're into this, you want to grow deeper, I'm going to tell you all the books I'm reading as I prep for Sunday. And I challenge you to get them and read them and enjoy them. But look at this quote. It's, it's British, so it's brilliant. Without the Bible, the Christ event, like what actually happened, would be lost in the mists of antiquity. And that just, you should, see, I have him recorded saying that. It's just so, so British. You know, it would be lost. So what is John Stott saying? If it weren't for the writings, of the Bible, none of us would know what actually happened. And so I read it. Because in reading what God has done, I can know. Without the Bible, I don't know. Now, for our last few minutes, before we respond in worship, let's go back to Acts 1. That was the intro to Luke and Acts. So what's the focus of Acts? So we know why he's written. Whenever I think about, like, where's the basis of what I believe? Believe, events actually happened. I need to know that. In history. And they were eyewitnessed by people who passed the teaching on. Not only did they pass it on, they wrote it down so that people would believe. But what does Acts focus on? Look at verses 1 and 2 again. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Do and teach. So the focus of Acts, and what we're going to see really clearly, is the works and the words. And this sounds simple, but we need to get this in our brain from the beginning. Luke is about Jesus, right? Acts is not about the church. Luke is about Jesus. Acts is not about the apostles. Luke is about Jesus. Acts is not about the Holy Spirit. Luke is about Jesus. Acts is about Jesus. Luke is about Jesus, Acts about Jesus, and here's the hinge, and here's why our study is gonna take on teeth in the real world, is that Jesus did not stop teaching when he went back to heaven. Jesus did not stop working when he went back to heaven. The works and the words of Jesus continued, and Luke makes the mark to the end of the life of Jesus. Here's what Jesus did on earth, and now here's what Jesus is doing right now. So we call ourselves Sunset A what? A Jesus church. Partly just to confuse you. Where do you go to church? A Jesus church. A what? Can you start a church with the letter A? That's just, you know, but partly we did it just to mess you up. But seriously, we call ourselves a Jesus church because we believe that what happened in Acts is Jesus stuff, and what's happening at sunset is Jesus stuff. It's the same Jesus as in Luke, as the same Jesus in Acts, is the same Jesus today. So our study of Jesus did not end with Mark, and now we're going on to like our stuff. It's the Jesus works and words. So what does that mean? It means that Luke doesn't need a big intro because he talked about Jesus. Now he's gonna focus on what happens when Jesus rises again, the works and the words. So we're gonna look at the history of what happened in the first 30 years, just like back to the future. We're, We're looking back to look towards Our future. We're seeing what God did to see what God will do. We're looking at the works of Jesus through his people to figure out what are our works. We're looking at the words of Jesus to figure out, okay, if that's what Jesus taught them, what do I need to know? So we study history because you have a story. You have a story that's important, not just to you, but to the people that you are going to influence for good or bad, for your own self or for Jesus, you are a part of this thing. If you choose to follow Jesus, you're wrapped up in acts. They're works and words for you. Now, let me talk about the sandwich sandwich. This is huge. This is mind-blowing. There's, there's food that you can eat, like for brunch, and then there's food you can eat. Are you with me? And um, for me, growing up as a kid, so you're like, where is he going? I, I didn't lose a brain cell. I just... I'm hungry. So, sandwich sandwich. After church, we would go to church in the morning. It was a period of history where people dressed up. My parents made me dress up to go to church. Shirt and tie. Shoes that were like legit. Everything. And so we'd go to church. And afterwards, I grew up in Brooklyn. We lived by an Italian bakery. And my parents afterwards would, would go to the store. And on the way home, we'd pop into the bakery. And they would get Italian bread. Long, crusty on the outside. like Crunch, crunch and soft on the inside. And it was so fresh, you cut it in the middle, you open it up and get the little steam. It was like heaven. So for me, church was dress up, go to the the building, spend too much time there. Uh, My dad was an elder, so they had a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, which means we were there from 8 to probably 1, All right? And so my my mom would make the Spamwich sandwich. So some of you don't know what Spam is. It's meat from from a can, okay? Talk to me afterwards. I'm scarred. So, um, so... Here's what it is. You open the Italian bread, and you put butter on both sides. And then you you put um, cheddar cheese on it. Because on top of it, you fry spam. You cut it super thin, like razor thin, like bacon, so it's crispy hard. And then you, you put it so it begins to melt the cheese, the butter. Are you with me? And then and then you do a sunny side egg. So you when you put it in, like a good Korean meal, they put the egg on top, and then it It permeates. So so you put it in there. You go to eat your sandwich. It's like, oh, this is heaven on earth. And so for me, like the Spamwich sandwich is is part of Sunday to the point where I'm 42 years old, right? After our morning gathering, what do I crave? I do not crave a mushroom. I do not crave a a vegan burger. I crave a Spamwich sandwich. Sandwich. Now, I don't eat it every week, okay, so don't judge me. But, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's a part of Sunday. Sunday is the day of the sandwich sandwich. And so you're like, okay, now what in the world does it have to do with anything? Every single one of you already has traditions you don't even know about. You have default modes. Every single one of us have views and histories, and all of us have a story. So all of us have stuff that we think is right, we think is true, we think is good, we think is helpful. All of us have something in our past. Here's what Acts is going to do for us. It's going to expose them. Some of us have views of church that are just off. Some of you have views of Jesus that's just off. So for me... Spam, which I didn't even have to think about it. Now I you realize that, wow, there's actually other options. But growing up as a kid, that's what we did. So when it comes to following Jesus, what rut do you find yourself in? What assumption do you make? Because that's what my dad said. That's what my mom said. That's what my friend said. That's what my neighbor said. Studying Acts is going to put us directly to Jesus and his teaching. And in light of Jesus and his teaching and his works... What do I do with what I view of Jesus, church, and everything in between? So is the sandwich, sandwich, tradition, a good tradition, or a bad tradition? I'll let you figure it out. But let's get to more serious matters. How do you view following Jesus? What does that really mean? What's the minimal requirement? What's, like, really going for? All of those things are covered in Acts. And so what we're going to see in Acts is great because we're not going to see like a glossed over. Part of the reason I believe the Bible to be true is because of the details that you get. When we look at Acts, we're going to confront racism. It's right there. We're going to confront sexism. It's right there. We're going to confront generosity and hoarding to the point where a husband and wife are both going to die. For lying to God and stealing from God's people. We're gonna be confronted with a good God who's doing miracles through his people, and at the same time, others, like James, Jesus' brother, is killed. We're gonna find people who do the right thing and suffer for it. We're gonna find that nobody's come up out of nowhere and a whole city's changed. We're gonna get all sorts of stuff, and in it, we're not gonna look at it just to see the past. We're going to say, okay, God, in light of what you did, what can you do even through us? So we're going, to, we're going to see us for who we really are. So there is no perfect church in Acts, just like there is no perfect church today. Do, does this church, a sunset, have issues? Absolutely. Because I'm here a bunch, I can list them off fast. I won't. But this, this is not a perfect place. So if you're looking for like, I'm looking for that church. That church doesn't exist. Just read the book of Acts. So if we think about the future, where are we headed? A couple of things, and then we'll, we'll drive towards our response. There are works for you and I to do. Like, why, why, why do this? Because the, the gospel writer, Luke, now tells us in Acts, what Jesus did and taught. So that means that there's stuff for you and I to do. Some of us, we don't know what that is yet, and that's okay, just hang in there. Some of us know what to do, but lack the oomph to push us to get in the game and actually take that step of faith and do it. You're gonna see people just like you taking leaps of faith. And I pray that it'll be a motivation for you. are going to find a group not knowing what to do and stopping and praying. And the whole room is shaken because God's presence is so real that everyone knows it. We're going to watch as people obey God. And, and Jesus says, stay here in this city and pray. And I'm going to send my spirit out to you. And 10 days later, there they are praying. And, and, and God comes by his Holy Spirit in ways that still blows us out of the water thousands of years later. This is an adventure. And for you, if faith is just this thing that's just part of your life, read Acts. It's going to jack you up. Because you realize quickly that following Jesus is beautiful and life-giving and absolutely dangerous at the same time. Absolutely dangerous. So if you're looking for a safe, cozy, religious fix, go somewhere else. Because when we are confronted with the Jesus people, the Jesus people do something, and it costs them something. So there are works. Some of you are going to be activated into areas you never thought you'd be involved in. Some of you, two years from now, are going to look back and say, I never would have imagined that little old me could be doing this. But you're going to realize it's not you. It's God doing it through you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come on you with power and enable you to do what you never even dreamed of or what you are scared of. That's what happens when we read the Bible. The second thing is there are words for us to embrace. There are words for us to embrace. There, there are things that Jesus wants to teach because Jesus began to w- work and do and teach. Jesus continues to teach his disciples even after he ascends into heaven. We'll, we'll look at how he does that, but he does it. And so there are areas, traditions, backgrounds, Hurts, pains, struggles, addictions, all that have a word from Jesus for you. So this, my friend, this will not be boring. It's going to be life-giving. But I do have a couple of warnings because I would, I would be unfair if I didn't give it to you. Warning number one, we are going to be confronted by the power of God. Because if you've read through Acts, it's amazing how God works in time and space in the real world. And so very early on, I'll let you know that when the Spirit of God comes on his people, all sorts of stuff happens that is unexplainable other than God did it. And we're not afraid of that. We want to step into that. So, so the book of Acts is about Jesus powerfully working. So every single thing that Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is very clear to tell it, including the raising of dead people happens in Acts by someone other than Jesus. So explain this to me. Everything that Jesus began to do when he walked the earth, he continues to do afterwards. Now he's you saying, oh, don't freak me out here. I cannot predict what the next two years has for us. But I am saying, if we're going to look at the works of Jesus and then the words of Jesus, we're going to either study it as ancient history or we're going to look at it as our opportunity to step into God. So, hey, I'm just throwing it out there. You've got to see the power of God in a whole new light. More warnings later on, but I'll hold off on that one for now. But just be ready that God comes in power. So we want you to grow the works of Jesus and the words. So it's one thing to say, hey, grow, and it's another thing to actually be helpful. As a church, we want to help you take the first step. So here's the plan, and then we're going to respond in worship. Um, Matt Karsh, Matt, where are you? Somewhere over here. He is, are you here, Matt? I just, you, Jet. Nerve you! Where are you? All right, he's gone. Anyway. There he is. I'm sorry. The lights. I, I'm blind. Um, Matt is really smart. He's smiles, simple, nice kind of guy. This dude's brilliant, so watch out. Matt Karsh is thinking. And he put together an eight-week study guide to take us through this first section of Acts. And so on your way out, we've got it. We've already printed it for you. And it's ridiculously simple, but it's going to require work. Three lessons every week. We're giving it to you now. Week one actually starts after next Sunday. So next Sunday's teaching is Acts 1 through 8. And when we do that, you can start with week one. If you want to get ahead of the game, you could do it this week. One of the sessions per week is on your personal reflection. Just, Just a page. Questions about what we talked about to get you to think about it. And then... Uh, Week two, I'm sorry, week one, part two is about a group study. And so the intention of this is not that you do it yourself, but rather the Bible was not given for you. The Bible was given for us. Huge distinction. Uh, It could be with a spouse, could be with a friend at school, could be with a neighbor, could be with your missional community. Commit to over a few weeks. I'm going to wrestle with it myself, and then I'm going to talk about it. Because God is going to speak through your friends as you talk to them, as they talk to you. You're going to learn together. And then the third part for each week is a simple, what am I going to do about it? Action steps. Sometimes we hear, we hear, that was great, I learned. What are you doing? The works and the words. So that part three is to push us out of our comfort zone. You may not know what to do. I hope this will be helpful. So when you pick it up, if you're, Our missional community meets twice a month because we have a ton of kids. So, so for us, it's actually going to take 16 weeks because we're going to do one lesson every two weeks. It's going to cover us through the end of April, early May. You may do it eight weeks in a row. You may be on steroids and do it in four weeks. Look, I don't care. Can you commit to do something other than Sunday? If we can't do that little bit, my friend, it's no wonder we're struggling in our faith. So if not this, find something else. And this week we'll tweet out some recommended readings. If you want to go deeper in history, in background, in application, we want to serve you and see you grow in the works and the words of Jesus. All right. In response, what do we know about Acts that we can apply right now? Here's what it is. In Acts, people pray. It's going to come up again and again and again. And prayer is a struggle. Prayer is probably the... Most difficult spiritual discipline for me, you think i 'd pray like I'd do it for a living, like you know, but prayer for me is a challenge, uh, but God wants to grow in me in prayer so the band 's going to come in a minute, but we want to give you a moment. Will you be faithful to what God wants to do in you and through you over these next two years let 's at the beginning we 're going to pause and be silent, take your notebook, take your Bible. Take your devices. Just put them away for a second. Put them on your chair. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, not because it's spiritual and because we're going to steal something from your purse or something. Like, that. Just, just focus out everything else and focus in on Jesus. And the band is going to come. They're going to start to play in a minute. But they're not going to sing for a bit because I want to give you a moment to pray. Something was said in the last 40 minutes that may have struck a chord. May have been convicting, challenging. And I want you just to pray that out. You may have a question in your mind, like, yeah, God, what about I want you to bring it to him. Whatever it is. Start now. And then God will lead you on in the next few weeks. So